0: America, sweet America, you know, God done shed his grace on thee, he. Welcome back, fellow podcasters. It's Freedom Friday, and time for another episode of Jeff Fry, an American conservative. Today I'd like to go into the electoral college a little bit because we've certainly heard from both sides of fence whether, whether we think that it's fair that our president of the United States could become the president and not have the popular vote of the citizens of the U.S. And although this has only happened this, a couple of times throughout the history of our country, it certainly most recently happened in the 2016 election when President Trump defeated Hillary Clinton. But I think we need to go back, first of all, to the origins of this, and in our the framers of our Constitution referred to this whole process as proportional representation. And I want to start by saying that back... Uh, during the American Revolution time period, uh, England had what is known as the House of Commons. And the House of Commons uh, was used to represent every British, they call them subjects, but every British citizen, um, regardless of whether they could actually vote. Keep in mind, back then, England had various colonies around the world. So for the most part, the members of the House of Commons had to represent what they said was the intentions of those that lived outside the region of where it was plausible that they could actually vote. I mean, at best, and for those that could travel, it probably took somewhere around six weeks by boat to get from the colonies, over to England. So nobody did that. Therefore, they, their representative in the House of Commons voted for them. And ultimately, you'll remember hearing the hackneyed expression, I guess, that kind of resonates with the uh, the Revolutionary War, which was the term, no taxation without representation. So anyway, after... After the war the Revolutionary War the uh, the framing fathers had to try to design a new kind of government a system which better represented the people of this new country than what we had with this representational uh, House of Commons over in England and since it still wasn't plausible for every citizen to kind of come to the Capitol, and vote on every issue, they created uh, delegates, and in this particular case, uh, depending on the size or the number of people within that new state, they had uh, two to seven delegates that represented the new Congress. Now, keep in mind, we, we also had a country that was uh, uh, growing rather largely, uh, exponentially, so... The Constitutional Convention also put in there that a, a census per state would be performed every 10 years. And every 10 years, based on what the new census would come in, they would adjust the number of delegates uh, that would be apportioned to each state. Now, I also want to point out that while the uh, framers were creating the Constitution, You had little states and you had big states. And what I mean is not necessarily the square footage of land, but the concentration of people. And the states that had the small number of populations at the time, they were concerned that by purely dividing up the number of representatives based on the population of the state, that the states that had frankly, all the people or large concentrations of people would be able to control and dictate policy. And that wasn't fair. There wasn't a fair representation for a smaller state. Now, on the other side, you had the states with large concentrations of people. And back then, that was pretty much New York and Virginia. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you gave equal representation to a small state with hardly any people versus a state with a lot of people. They, they, they operate differently, and it wasn't fair to them because they had different needs than perhaps the state with the small populations. So you had dissension between the large and the, and the small, and frankly, it almost made it so that the Constitution could never get passed because this was a big hurdle back then. Fortunately, in a democracy, we have the ability to debate and negotiate terms. And in this particular scenario, we, we had two different uh, parts of our governing branch, the Senate and the House of Representatives, of which they were able to come to an agreement that they both sides, the large and the small, felt they could live with. So as it turned out, The House of Representatives within the Congress was given the number of delegates based on the populations of their state. But in the Senate, we have two representatives for each state regardless of the size of their population. Now, back when it was originally determined, there was a formula of approximately one delegate for every 30,000 inhabitants within the state. And although I don't wish to get into the politics of what an inhabitant is, because back then we had slaves that were not being counted, we had women that may not have been counted, um, so there was always tugging going back and forth to make sure that each state got more or their proper number of delegates represented. And if somehow we had a state which did not have 30,000 inhabitants, the state was given at least a minimum of one delegate. And this system seemed to work pretty well. And every 10 years, the number of House of Representatives members increased because the size of the country was increasing at at that time. But it worked pretty well uh, until it started getting a little voluminous by numbers and it was because of this that in 1941 congress passed a rule saying that the size of the house of representatives would not exceed 435 which was the number at that time so then a little different formula was created and that formula said that we would take the population of the united states the entire population and we would divide that by 435, and we would come up with an average jurisdiction number. And based on the population of your state, by that fractional number, would determine how many of the 435 that your state would have. And through the years, Congress has uh, battled back and forth, once again between large and small, on what to do with the fractional number. So in our particular case, if Maryland was entitled to 10.35 House of Representatives numbers, what would you do with the 0.35? Would you round it up or round it down? And as we speak, Congress has quite a complicated procedure now in determining what to do with those. Now, just putting things into perspective, had that not been changed in 1941 to its original formula, which was one delegate for every 30,000 inhabitants, the United States, at last call of 350 million citizens, would now have 11,667 representatives in the House of Representatives. That's why it had to be changed. So why are we talking about this Electoral College today? Well, in my uh, opinion, this has to do with fair representation. I mean, after all, this whole thing of the Electoral College, this proportional representation that was created was made so that our country could never be dictated by large concentrations of people. But I want to take this one step further. I want to take it down to the state level now. I mean, now we're, we're, we're not a country of 1 million people. We're a country of 350 million people. And virtually in every single state that we have, we have a large city or a couple of large cities which have large concentrations of people. And based on total popular votes, especially for our electoral uh, delegates, they control the voices of the rest of the state. And I don't believe that it's any fairer now than what the the original uh, colonists uh, determined back in the 1700s. So what I'm suggesting is that maybe we ought to take the electoral college kind of process and spread it to the states. And, And let me... Let's take Maryland as an example, because that is where I'm from. Maryland has approximately 6 million citizens in it. And for that, we have been determined to be given 10 electoral votes. Now, within the state of Maryland, we have 24 governing jurisdictions, of which are 23 counties, and then we have the city of Baltimore. And within our state, we have three counties, well, actually two counties in the city of Baltimore, which concentrate by their population and pretty much control what goes on with our delegates and have for a really long time. But how about if we took those 10 electoral votes, divided it up by our 6 million, We would, in our 24 governing jurisdictions, each county fairly, representation-wise, would receive about .42 electoral votes out of the 10. So if we were to take this electoral college thing on a fair representation basis, regardless of the number of people that were in your county, depending on how they voted, they would get approximately 0.42 of the 10 that would go. And, and and depending on how all 24 counties would vote, would depend on how the electoral votes would be then submitted for the presidential election. And we do have some states that give proportional um, ballots so that uh, if, uh, if six were to go to one candidate and four would go to the other, they could actually submit that Uh, instead of all 10 going to one candidate. So let's take a glimpse back to 2016, since we have some on the other side who think that uh, Hillary Clinton should have been the uh, president purely based on the fact that more people voted for her. Well, let's start with Maryland. Maryland, with its 24 jurisdictions, ended up having a total of seven counties, out of their 24 that went for Clinton, 17 that went for Trump. So in other words, we had seven counties representing approximately 30% of our uh, total governing jurisdiction, and yet all 10 of those votes went to Clinton, even though 70% of our governing jurisdiction areas wished to go for Trump. On a broader basis, on a national basis, we had 3,141 counties, parishes, and independent cities. If you were to have taken that and you divide that by the 435 total electoral votes, each of those governing districts, theres 3141, would get .138 per jurisdiction. That's what their amount adding up to the 435 would be. And get this, in 2016 election, out of those 3,141 total districts, 487 of them voted for Clinton, and 2,626 of them voted for Trump. The math says that approximately 10% of all of the jurisdictions within our country decided to go for Clinton and gave her the majority of popular votes, whereas approximately 90%, 90% of the rest of the country wanted to go for Trump, and ultimately, under the electoral college system, he was voted in. So in the end, did we not get a president who the vast majority of the jurisdictions from within our United States wanted? And that is exactly why the Electoral College has been working in our country for over 200 years. And I dare say that in order to get fair representation In our new day and age with our 350 million people we need to come up with a better system from within each state whereby a a mere 10% perhaps of of a state's area can once again control the total politics of what takes place within that state. It's just not fair. Will it take place? (laughs) Well, Well, you know it's really hard to give up power. So if you're if you're ruling your state by the, uh, the, the the political side is is not really going to be too eager to change the rules in the game. But if we were to step back, as we do, and we take a look at the color coded map, especially in this election that just passed, we see the same thing. All right, that U.S. map based into jurisdictions is virtually totally red, meaning voting towards Trump. And very, very few. And I would be willing to bet it's probably that same, maybe close to it, 480-some, 10% of the jurisdictions which have voted for Joe Biden. It just doesn't seem to be fair. But it's our system. And one of the beauties of, of of our system here in the United States is that we have the ability to make changes and adjustments. Granted, the last one being done in 1941. But maybe, just maybe, in our lifetime, we'll see another adjustment, which will make this representation for the entire populace, uh, all three thousand one hundred and forty-one jurisdictions, the voice of the people. I want to thank you for tuning in again this week, and uh, look forward to our our time going in the future. I think we uh, I, I think we need to learn a lot more about how our government runs, and. Uh, From there, perhaps we can make it a better better country that we all live in. I am Jeff Fry, an American conservative. I'll be back next week with more to talk about. In the meantime, keep us, U.S., the United States, in mind. Thank you.